The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. Now that all the Yom Tovim have passed and the endless food options are no longer, well, an option, we now look forward to the summer and now at our guts and wonder, what happened to me? Well, that's why we invited on this week's guest. Hi, I'm Rory Weisberg. I am a health coach and I'm a recipe developer and I am now the author of my new cookbook, Food You Love That Loves You Back. Rory will be explaining her own kitchen theories, how you can practically apply them to your life and her journey to cookbook writer. Rory, thank you so much for joining me this week. Before we jump into the book and a couple of the other topics that are associated with it, I want to get a little bit of a background about you. How did you get into writing a cookbook? How did you get into life coaching? How did that, or health coaching, how did that, how did that come about? Great. I love that question. It's been an amazing journey. And I keep saying that this book is so much more than a cookbook for me. It's really the celebration of a journey and just this process that I've been on. So um, I, I, I never thought that I was going to be a health coach and I surely never thought I was going to write a book. Um, about uh, 12 years ago, I had my youngest child and I developed a condition called postpartum thyroiditis. It's very common. Women get it very often after pregnancy. And it's a condition where the thyroid jumps from underactive to overactive. And in many cases, it just resolves itself and goes away. And in other cases, it will land in either overactive or underactive. Very difficult and invasive to treat underactive. Overactive is easier to treat with medication. And that's the more common way that it would resolve itself. That's what the doctors told me. And they said, just, you know, there's not much we can do. Wait it out. It's annoying, but that's basically your, what's going to happen one or the other. After five years, nothing changed. It did not stop jumping. And the effects that that was having on my body were, it was very difficult. There were, it was multiple symptoms because the thyroid has so much to do with so many functions in the body. And I was feeling really miserable. And, um, after five years of all this jumping and not being able to really treat it, I ended up doing a lot of research on Dr. Google, and I kept seeing over and over again, the autoimmune protocol, eating for autoimmune disease, because thyroiditis is a form of autoimmune disease. Um, long story short, I ended up finding a doctor, a medical doctor who was very open-minded, and he looked at my numbers and realized that when I was in underactive, my numbers were like very low, but when I was in overactive symptoms, my numbers really weren't over, like no one would treat those kind of numbers. And he really encouraged me to try this lifestyle change. And it was so refreshing to hear that from a medical doctor. I had gone to some alternative doctors and homeopathic people and, and it just felt like too extreme in certain respects. And it was just so nice to really hear that from a medical person. And that really gave me the push to go and do it. And it was super hard. And I, I think that's why I, I wanted to share this with the world is because I felt so incredibly lost. Like you're taking away all my grains and dairy and gluten and sugar. And like, what am I going to eat? And it was very difficult. And, but I, I really wanted to see if it would help. Thank God within, I would say three to four weeks, I already started seeing dramatic changes. And by two months, I really was like, things were reversing and I felt so much better at that point. I decided I had to learn more. I went to get certified. I went to this uh, Institute of Integrative Nutrition and started studying functional medicine and integrative nutrition. 
And the more I learned, the more I implemented because it wasn't, then I started realizing it wasn't just food changes and diet changes. It was also change in sleep and stress management and the right type of movement, smarter, not harder, and really making all these changes and seeing such great results. Um, I, I was just, I, I was blown away and I decided I wanted to do something with this. I just wasn't sure what. The same time, as I was getting more and more committed to this, it was getting really boring to eat like grilled chicken and spaghetti squash and like vegetable soup and the same old foods all the time. And I was really starting to miss muffins and ice cream and good food. And um, I started just playing in my, in my kitchen. Um, I definitely found, learned from like social media bloggers and like against all grain and some other like paleo, because that's kind of how I started um, food bloggers ingredients and, and like cooking methods, but it was totally not how I ate as a Jewish Orthodox woman. And it was surely not how my family wanted to eat. I remember seeing a recipe for like asparagus and salmon. And I was like, okay, that's like the appetizer. Now what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and, and that was, that became my quest. My quest became to find a way that I could cook one dinner and cook a normal Shabbos meal that my family would love that I didn't have to make myself different versions of everything. And also as I was learning more, I wanted to feed my family healthier. And it was a long process, but one recipe after the other, I started building a really great um, you know, foundation. I was very passionate about figuring out how to make really good gluten-free bread. And uh, that's how it really started. Um, and it's a whole amazing story on how my, my line of baking essentials and bread mixes came to be. And through coaching and working with other people, I started seeing that just because certain breads, let's say worked for me or certain recipes worked for my body, other people, especially people with metabolic issues, you know, needed different, needed different foods. And I wanted to try to not only create things that worked for me, but worked for my clients because everyone is, people are really very unique and different. So it just kept growing. And I just wanted to share this thank God, this just creative outlet that God gave me to be able to create these recipes. And that's really how it all began. It really, it really fell in my lap. <laughs> that, that, that's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal story to how you get there. Now, I want to get into the book itself uh, and your methods. Mm -hmm. But before we get into those things, um, one of the biggest issues that people have when coming across a new sort of uh, a, new, a new sort of way of looking at food, a new, a new outlook on it is how much is this going to cost me? So mm. kosher food already is quite expensive. Yeah. Um, do the recipes that you and, and, and the, the methods that you, you are professing, uh, do they take cost into account? I mean, being Jewish isn't cheap. Being from isn't cheap. Mm. Um, I'm just no. curious how, how, yeah. um, how cost prohibitive are something like this? Uh, not necessarily the book itself, but like those the, mm -hmm. the ingredients that I'm going to need that come out of the book. Right. So unfortunately, I wish I could say otherwise, but better quality food ingredients are more expensive. And the main reason is because the refined ingredients are cheaper. So let's say oil, for example, that's something I'm a really big component of using better quality oils. If you're cooking the same exact recipes that you're cooking now, just by swapping your oils from refined oils to unrefined oils, you've just improved the dish health profile like 50%, if not more. So yes, it's true that for a big, you know, two gallon, whatever thing of canola oil, you're going to pay, I don't know, five, six, $8. Whereas for that same amount of olive oil, you could be paying five times that amount. But when you understand that 
canola oil, vegetable oils are actually causing inflammation in your body and you're putting it in everything you eat. Everything has some level of fat in it, oil in it from salad dressings to cooking, to baking, you know, frying, even if we're not talking about deep frying, just like pan frying, we're always using oil in, in our food. And so if we're eating an oil that's refined, we're constantly creating inflammation. So yes, better quality ingredients at this time, I'm hoping that in time, the more the demand will be, I think that will start to shift. Um, but there is a way to still make certain parts of it more affordable. You know, vegetables, you can buy them in, you know, in cheaper places, you can go to farmer's markets, there's definitely ways of doing that you can buy more fresh, less frozen. And I found that when I started cooking healthier, I wasn't buying all the prepared frozen things. So I do think it balances out somewhat. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely more expensive to buy almond flour than white flour. And it's more expensive to buy raw honey than it is to buy white sugar. Um, the other area that people are going to be concerned about when they're taking on new new dietary uh, things are uh, the time. How long mm. are, is the average recipe that you're, that you're giving out? Um, how long does it take to prepare these meals? Okay, great question. So the time it takes to make my chicken versus duck sauce chicken, let's say, or it, it's, it, it takes the same amount of time to cook it. Basically, if you have the right ingredients in the house, I don't think making meals takes any longer. I don't think it takes me longer to make Shabbos than it takes anyone else. Where the difference is, is that I'm going to make my own homemade mayo or my own homemade dips, as opposed to buying them from the store, because I want to be able to have control of the oils that I use, or I'm going to make my own homemade desserts rather than buying ragala. So I feel that the, the dishes itself don't take longer to make my grain free, you know, brownies, let's say that are made with, you know, dates and nut butters and, you know, cocoa and whatever, it doesn't take longer to make it. I just make more things that maybe other people are going to fill in with takeout and, you know, things from the bakery. I think that's where it gets to be more work, Right. but, but you don't have to swallow it all whole. That's the other thing you can still get some takeout and supplement and just improve some of the food you make by making healthier choices. You don't have to just, you know, do the whole thing all at once for sure. Right. Not. This is more of a question, a more of a uh, personal one that would affect me and I'm sure others, but less so these days, how well does your food travel and how well does it freeze or, or stay refrigerated? Like if I wanted to make a big batch of something on a Sunday, mm -hmm. so I have it for the work week, how well can it last? Um, and uh, how, how does it travel? Like if I want to bring it to work. So different foods will have a different answer. I think most of all of my pastries, the breads, all of them freeze beautifully and they're all very easily portable and then just cooked foods. I mean, I usually say most of anything with like a homemade mayo base, I wouldn't leave in the fridge for more than let's say two weeks. Vinaigrettes and things like that can last for months. Um, any like chicken or side dish or fish, anything like that. I mean, fish, I don't usually per personally keep for longer than three days, but I mean, you can prep a ton of food in the beginning of the week and it could really last you for sure for five days. Okay. Phenomenal. And then in terms of traveling, um, so I have cooler backpacks. I don't mean cool, like they're cooler than yours, but like a cooler backpack and a cooler, you know, bag. And I have ice packs and I do do a lot of taking food out with me. I mean, just today I knew I was going to be out all day and I packed along lunch and I took it in my cooler backpack with my ice packs. As long as you transport them properly and you have, you know, either a cooler or refrigeration, there's no reason you can't. 
Terrific. Okay, so let's get into the actual nuts and bolts of what of what this of what the, this cookbook has. So first of all, kosher food or traditional Jewish food is extremely dense. Kogels and cholent and uh, just name knishes, anything that anything that's Ashkenazi Jewish. I'm not such a familiar. I don't have much familiarity with Sephardic food, but Ashkenazi food is all latkes are just extremely dense. How did you, uh, or how would you change those traditional foods by wow. keeping the tradition, but still having the, uh, but still having the, the, a little bit more of a lighter flair to it? Yeah, so I love it because every single food you mentioned is in this book. Yeah. From potato kugel to latkes, to schnitzel, to chalent, to kishka, to deli roll, mashed potatoes, um, roast, brisket, pulled beef, beef and broccoli, hamburgers, capons. I mean, we've even got pizza, macaroni. Um, I've got ice creams, puddings. I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. Where I differ from those recipes is I transform them. That's my line. I transform traditional, um, transform traditional recipes with ingredients that love your body back. So like I said before, oil is a very big issue, like let's say in, in terms of health and inflammation. So what I like to do is to take that same recipe. For example, the potato kugel is my grandmother's recipe. And instead of using white potatoes, I'm going to use Yukon gold potatoes, which are lower glycemic. They have a little more health and nutritional benefit to it. Instead of canola oil, I'm going to use olive oil. I'm using eggs, sea salt, instead of table salt, just has more minerals in it. Um, so in, in theory, there's no unhealthy ingredients in it. Now, is it a heavier food in a sense of it's a potato still. So there is a carb load, but you eat this potato kugel versus regular potato kugel and you don't get that punk heavy way down feeling. And that's really what's so awesome about these recipes. And I get this comment over and over again when I have guests for Shabbos, like they'll come and we'll have sourdough or even sometimes I make spelt challah too if I know people won't like sourdough. I've got wonderful dips and confit and salads and it's either liver or fish. We've got chalent, deli roll, schnitzel, potato kugel. I'll for sure have a broccoli kugel or a pan of grilled vegetables as well. Dessert, we're probably having chocolate mousse or chocolate chip cookies with ice cream. And they feel like they didn't miss, a, they didn't miss anything. They're like, this was like a regular meal. Like, and the, thank God my food is delicious. And I'll almost every single time get a phone call after Shabbos and say, I don't have that gross feeling. I don't feel heavy. I don't feel indigestion. Like I'm full, but I don't feel sick. I don't feel, ugh. and that's really, I mean, there's plenty of recipes in here that are not your typical traditional, you know, Jewish fare type of food, but all of the ones we're used to are here made in a version that will give you that enjoyment without that heaviness. Interesting. I, I always had this concept of, um, I feel heaviest if I've also eaten at a kiddish and then I come home and then eat lunch. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I've tried to do is cut out, like, even if my, my, if my shul has a kiddush that week, I don't eat at the kiddush. Health control. <laughs> it's, it, it's I, try, I, I, I say I, I don't eat at the kiddush. I will clarify that. I try not to eat at the kiddush. For as much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if you're, if you're already having like a helping of cholent and a helping of kugel and maybe a, a drink here or two, whether that's alcoholic or, or soda or a juice, and then you're going to go home and eat lunch. So that's right. probably not that great. And then, and then right after that, you go to sleep. Oh, it's a killer. <laughs> it's, a it's just, it's a, it's terrible... a recipe for, it's, yeah, it's yeah. awful. Building on that, you mentioned about how you have 
a, a variety of options. You'll, you might, you might make, I don't know if you mentioned you make more than one main, uh, but you'll have a bunch of different dips and you'll have, you'll have the, the different types of kugel and then the, the plate of mm -hmm. grilled vegetables. Um, how do you uh, go, uh, how do you work with portion control? Like you have, I'm looking at your table. I'm listening to what your table is going to look like. Yeah. And there's a lot a of lot options of and I want to try all of this. Now you're telling right. me that I'm going to have, be able to eat this stuff and not feel weighed down afterwards. Right. Okay. But everything comes with a price. Like if I want sure. to try everything, am I still going to ha not have that feeling of, of weighed, of weighed downness? Or is there some sort of a, of a method that you have for portion control? So there's, I have so much to say on this and I kind of feel like I need to break it down. Go ahead. So when I serve a meal, I'm always going to menu plan based on my crowd. I was making a menu for me for Shabbos, for a Shabbos lunch meal. I would want sourdough and confit, and then I would want maybe a little Caesar salad or whatever tossed salad, grilled vegetables and chicken, and I'm good. Like, I don't need more than that. I don't even want more than that. However, I know that my husband, my son, many other people at my table want the chalet, and they want the potato cookle, and they want the liver. So I'm going to make it because they want it. Now, not all of those people are also going to eat everything I'm eating. So when I make a big meal like that, I'm assuming because there's guests, I need people with different, you know, to, to suit what other people need as well. However, let's take my husband, for example, my husband is someone who likes all of it. He loves healthy food. He loves the salads. He loves you know, the, the grilled vegetables and all that good stuff. And he also loves the challenge and he also loves the, the, you know, the kugel and all that other, all those other things. So what he does is he just has, like you said, a little, like he'll have a little of everything. Like when it comes to the challah or I make sourdough, he'll have one slice, you know, or, you know, even one half of a slice, like a kazayas, like not just going at it. You know, when I, when he'll have the first course, it'll be like a little bit of liver and a little salad. And then, you know, we'll, and maybe, you know, one or two of the dips and taste them and put it in that one piece of challah, you're, you don't get overly stuffed. And then even let's say even have it on his plate, a little scoop of chalant, a piece of potato kugel, piece of schnitzel, and a half a piece of potato kugel or a quarter piece, because you want to taste it. So for people that want to have, try a little bit of everything, great, try a little bit of everything. But I menu plan for no, knowing that different people are going to want different things. Like one of my children does not like vegetables. He's like, ah, the green stuff. So I know for him, for Shabbos to feel like Shabbos, like he, I don't really need served potato kugel Shabbos lunch. No, no one would miss it in my house, but he would. So I'll have it on my table because I don't want to have, I want everyone to feel satisfied and that they walked away having like what they like for Shabbos. That's just me. That's how I like to serve. Um, but what I, what I want to answer, there was another part of your question about portion control. That's about like serving and, and why I serve the way I do and giving people choices. And I think also as a consumer going into a meal, whether it's a meal, your own home, or you're a guest at someone's house, or, you know, you're being served at your mother or wife's table to look at the food. And there was a, there was a book, a kid's book. I don't remember the name, but it was like, I remembered this line. It was this little boy and he was at a kiddish and he goes, there's so many goodies and treats. You know, I want to taste everything. And the line at the end said, um, I chose the treats I like the best and left the others all the rest. And I, I guess I know why that line stayed in my head, because I think I must tell that to myself sometimes. It's like, you, could, you don't have to have everything right now. And I think when you know that you can eat when you're hungry, you can always, you can stop when you're full. So one of the things that I teach in my coaching and really comes through in this book is 
Number one, understanding how to build a meal for satiation through balancing your macronutrients and all of my meals that I serve incorporate that balance. But also I teach, not so much in the book, but I, when I work with clients, I talk about learning to listen to your body's cues. Um, it's, it's a whole loaded topic, but when you really start to become mindful and eat when you're hungry and start to listen to what your body's telling you and really stop when you're satisfied, not stuffed, you can taste the food. You can enjoy it. Did you know that after the third bite of something, you know, your taste buds actually don't taste them anymore? That's interesting. I, I literally had a, uh, a little ice cream on Sunday uh, mm-hmm. this week. And I said to my wife that there is nothing that tastes like there's no part of an ice cream that tastes better than that first lick right after that. Like it it, it hits you. You're like, that's amazing. You have it again. It's not even a law of diminishing returns. It's the second one and the third and fourth and fifth. They all taste the same, but none of them are going to be as good as that first one. Right. And, and actually there's really scientific studies that say that your taste buds are more like remembering the taste. It's not even a new, your, your tongue doesn't keep tasting it over and over. And again, we don't only eat because of taste. We eat because we love the mouth, hand-to-mouth sensation and we love that grounded feeling of like plunk food falling in our stomachs and landing there. <laughs> we like the whole experience and it's very pleasurable. But when we all, you know, it's really looking at, okay, but I know that if I overeat, I'm not gonna feel good in an hour. Um, and looking at my long-term results, So it's really, it's a combination of learning how to eat quality foods that are going to make you physically feel good, learning how to balance your macronutrients to really truly feel satisfied physically. And then it's learning how to listen to your body's cues and respect when your body says, thank you, I've had enough. And one of the things that I think helps people is that when you tell yourself, whenever you're hungry again, I'll feed you. So we're going to stop now because I feel satisfied. But if you're hungry in an hour and two hours and there's no problem, I'll feed you again. You can even have the rest of this food. I'll save a plate for you. You can have it later. So when you don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm getting, if I don't have it now, that's it. It's over. And you also, once you start to feel how good it feels to feel satisfied, not stuffed, you, you start to want that feeling a lot. Right. It's also, it's also nice that your, your stomach can't really answer you back. It's more of a one-sided conversation there. Um, I, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit, you mentioned it briefly, um, but on a more personal note, I have a very picky eater for a daughter. And when I say very, I mean like doesn't eat anything. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you have for those picky eaters that maybe they have their like one thing that they eat all the time um, mm-hmm. that, they, that they might enjoy in your, like if you're going to say, listen, you, you have that one person that doesn't eat anything. What, what is my go-to? Mm. So you're talking about food though, not like desserty type of thing. No, no. I food. think most, yeah. So I think my schnitzel um, is a real winner for kids. It's really delicious and it's really healthy. Um, I'll tell you, I, I also have a super, super picky eater and I'm just like flipping through. I'll tell you the things he loves. He loves the potato kugel. Um, he loves my latkes. Um, he'll even my Japanese sweet potato chips, a lot of picky eaters will eat if you peel them. They, if they, as soon as they see the peel, they're out. Um, I mashed, I have different mashes. I even have a mashed potatoes that you sneak in some uh, yellow squash. They don't know it's there. <laughs> um, the, like I said, the, the schnitzels for sure, there's hamburgers, there's meat bolognese. 
I would say any of the meats like the sticky, the, the what's it called? The pulled beef. Um, I, everyone loves my talent. So I've never met a kid who didn't like it. Um, the meatballs, like for the roasts, all of those things, like they're, they're really good. Like they don't, they don't scream healthy at all. Like you, you really, if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't know. So those kind of foods, I think most picky eater kids would like, I find where the picky eaters are really challenging is when it comes to vegetables. And when it comes to fish, a lot of, you know, picky eaters won't eat fish, which I, I get fish is really like, you have to like fish. Um, even the soup, some of the creamed soups, I think you can possibly get a picky eater to eat. Um, I'm trying to think about it in the, in the breakfast section, I have something called an ice cream or pure pudding that you can make it in the same. There's four recipes that you can make a different texture for them. Mm. And it's like a, it's a really thick smoothie bowl. And I would say, start with the mango strawberry version. Cause it's very, that one's the sweetest. And I, my, my pickier eaters, even like my, my nephews and my brother and sister-in-law came over for Sukkis and I made it for them, you know, toward the end of like after Yantif and I, my sister-in-law was like going crazy. She's like, I cannot believe my boys are eating this. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and it's like, and you know, what's in it. You don't never make it in front of it, in front of your children. Now, that's like the rule. There's mango, strawberries, avocado, and nut butter and they like it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and, and just in terms of picky eaters, you know, you, I, in my experience, you can't force a picky eater to eat anything. Um, I think, I mean, I, like I said, I have four kids, Kenan Harbar Hashem, and three love all my food. Like they, I, they like everything. I don't think there's like, they're really, they, they, I mean, some of them have their favorites or the things that are not their favorite, but they really love everything. And they love vegetables and it's just, it's great. And then I have one who's just like, chicken. On, on, no, I like on, on Pesach, he's like, it, the hardest part for him of the Seder is having to eat the maror because you eat, because we do lettuce. He's like, I'll rather eat the maror plain. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> you're going to, you can't, you physically can't do it. And he like cringes. Like he's like, oh, this is a, for him. It's really bitter. Well, then it's um, working. It's working right. It's he's like the only doing. one exactly but so with him i just don't push it like i will always make sure there's something on the table that he will eat um when i menu plan which is always challenging he might just eat the protein um but i buy him things that or and i make him things that i don't necessarily eat or other people wouldn't opt as their first choice because i want him to feel comfortable in his home and i don't want it to be a struggle and a battle it's just not a battle i'm gonna win all right, so before I let you uh, plug where people could find your cookbook, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think that is important that, that we, we look at? I, I really just want to let people know that, you know, it's, it's a process and you don't have to swallow it whole, you know? And I always say the biggest gauge is stress because if you're taking on a health change and it's really stressing you out, whatever cortisol your body is pumping is just over, oh, totally overriding any health benefits that you would otherwise gain. Um, and I would really just, you know, say make small changes. It's not so much about what you take out, it's what you put in. So, you know, if you know that your family has certain foods that they really love, leave them there, incorporate something new, add a new vegetable side dish to your Shabbos menu, or, you know, make an additional dessert that's healthier. And also, don't like announce it at the table. Like if you walk to the table, I said this on another, someone was talking to someone the other day and I'm like, you walk to your table and say, oh, here's cauliflower farfel. It's made with cauliflower and mushrooms and onions and 
taste it. It's good. Like, no, like no one's going to want to taste it. If you just put it on the table, like everything else and just don't draw attention to it. Very likely people will try it and just say, oh, this is good. What's that? I'm like, oh, it's a new farfel like thing that I made. Oh, great. You know? So I think like less is more in terms of like explaining, I mean, you know, what you're, what you're doing that's different. And I, like, I, I wouldn't do a big, you know, overhaul for sure not on your family and even for yourself. It's very overwhelming to make change with our cooking and with our meal planning. So go slow. There's no, you know, slow and steady wins the race. All right. Terrific. So as promised, where can people find your, your cookbook? And are you guys on any social media platforms or do you have a website? Thank you. Yes. So full and free is my tag on Instagram. Um, I try to share a lot of health information there. We do all different types of, you know, concepts about sleep and hydration and attunement. That's the whole part about mindfulness. Um, I share recipes there and lots of health information. Um, I have a website, fullandfree.com. And there you can actually buy and learn about my bread mixes. I have four bread mixes, three are gluten-free and one is spelt. I teach people on my website for free how to make spelt sourdough and gluten-free sourdough. I have demos showing you how to make all my bread mixes. Um, I have other baking essentials that come with free recipes on my website. And then there's also a page on my website all about my new book, Food You Love That Loves You Back. And it's available both at artscroll.com, Amazon, and in all Jewish bookstores that sell Artscroll books across the U.S. and abroad. Terrific. Uh, Rory, thank you so much for joining me this week. I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and hopefully this, uh, this does well. And we have you on for the resource of the second book. Thank you. And, and I really, I hope that this, that this message and these recipes will show people you really can have the regular foods you're used to and feel good. It's, it's like a new movement and hopefully it's going to really catch on. I hope it will. Absolutely. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great night. My thanks to Rory Weisberg for joining me this week. If you're interested in pairing the healthy cooking lifestyle with a little information on exercising, check out episode 43, Kosher Fitness with Rabbi Herschel Prager. Oh, and it's been a while since we've done this, but if you like what we're doing here, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. It really helps others reach our show. Until next time, Koto. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Srelly Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg. Follow us on Facebook at The Jewish Living Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Jewish underscore living. You can also email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.